Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 109 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about the virtual personal digital assistant, specifically Siri and Google Now, and how they might work for lawyers. In this episode, we turn to one of our annual traditions in our podcast, the results of the two major legal technology surveys for the year. Tom, what's on the agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, technology trends, and specifically in the form of results of uh, the two of the big annual legal technology surveys of the year. In our second segment, we'll talk about whether buying domain names still makes sense in a world where social media dominates. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that single tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and uh, that's survey season. Uh, Around this time every year, we can look forward to seeing the results from uh, two of the major legal technology surveys. Uh, One is from the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center. It's called the Legal Technology Survey Report. Uh, And then ILTA and Inside Legal, uh, our friends uh, Joanna Forche and Yopes Delster over there, uh, help ILTA put together the Technology Purchasing Survey, and that is recently out in time for the ILTA conference. Dennis, I've heard you say that you think legal technology is a sleepy area in 2013. After reading the results of these surveys, do you still have that same opinion? Well, I, I, I think I do, Tom. I, I, mean, I guess in the, when I say it's, it's sleepy, it's just I, it doesn't feel like anything big is going on. And what people are talking about are topics that have been around for a, for a long time, and it's sort of li- maybe little enhancements of that. And I don't know, and I think you might, you might touch on this topic too, Tom. But I also think there's this kind of a retrenching by, by lawyers, you know, maybe in the area of e-discovery and other things. It it's, just seems that you know, a lot of the discussion around legal technology is, is pretty plain vanilla. I mean, it's basic hardware, basic software, a little bit of cloud, and it's, it's hard to know where you say, oh my God, there's something really new that's, that's happening. That said, I, I still think these surveys uh, can be really useful, and, and sort of the, the similarity of results over the years, I think, can help, uh, help people draw some conclusions and, and see, see some trends out there. Uh, in terms of the type of spending that's done and and those sorts of things. I don't know, Tom, do you think I'm a little bit off base on that, or do you see more more excitement out there? I, I don't see the same level of excitement, or I, I guess I don't see more excitement. I, I, I sort of see more of the same, and, and as we'll get into some of the specifics of the survey, um, I think we'll see that, that everything has kind of remained the same. We see some in some areas, and I think we'll find that some areas Lawyers are starting to adopt new forms of technology in big leaps and bounds, but in other areas, um, they are slower, and I think they reflect the legal profession as a whole uh, being slower to adopt technology than other industries, and I think that the results of both surveys this year um, indicate that, um, that that is still the case. I don't see anything that would change my mind on that. Dennis, in your mind, how do you differentiate these two surveys? They are different audiences and, and different survey respondents to a certain extent. How do you, uh, how do you separate the two? 
Well, I, I think I look at them as saying, first of all, I always consider them as sort of non-scientific surveys in the sense that, um, you know, it, it's self-reported material. People volunteer to be part of it. Um, there's a lot of questions on some of these, especially the ABA one. So, uh, you know, it's probably that inhibits the number of, of people who respond once they see how many questions they have to answer. So, so there's that aspect of it. Um, but I also, th- at the same time, think it's probably the best information that we get uh, about what lawyers and law firms are, are doing with technology. So I always say, take it with a grain of salt, look for the, you know, the big picture trends, um, and maybe not draw, not so much the precision of the results, but sort of the broader sense that you get and maybe some, some patterns out there. Um, the ILTA survey, I always uh, say this is a classic big firm, uh, you know, IT department uh, focus survey. Um, it does look to what uh, those, those firms are buying. So that's useful because it's, you know, focused on where the money is, is spent uh, more so than just kind of what people are thinking about. So I think that's helpful. The ILTA survey has, tr- uh, has gone uh, reach down to some some of the smaller firms, so uh, even going below f- fifty lawyers. Uh, that's my sense for the ILTA study. The ABA study is almost a flip of of that. I, I think it tends to be a lot of uh, a lot more solo and small firm. Some reach up into the into the bigger firms, but I, but I think if you kind of I always divide them into those two approaches. So uh, ABA small to to medium. And then, and then ILTA large, maybe down down to medium. Yeah, I think that the the the, the differences really are striking when you look at the numbers. You've got uh, ILTA having uh, responses from about sixty eight percent from large firms, and and the rest from smaller firms. Although this is the first year that ILTA has started to survey what they call the under fifty uh, fifty uh, or or fewer lawyers, and by contrast, about sixty. Or so percent. I think maybe I've got the numbers flipped. Maybe sixty-eight percent of the ABA survey is solo and small firm lawyers, and then in ILTA, it's sixty percent versus forty percent um, uh, big firm versus small firm. Uh, when you get to ABA numbers, sixty-eight um, percent are fifty and under. But if you dive a little bit more into those numbers, really fifty percent are ten lawyers and under. So the the the, the majority or fifty percent of this survey is taken by lawyers in firms of ten and under. And I think that uh, from me, and I, I may sound a little crotchety about the ABA survey, but I think that one of the things it suffers from is I think it's demographics in that um, that that they tend to be older lawyers answering the survey. Uh, that they are lawyers who. Um, who who have been practicing for a long period of time and uh, and and are coming across and we'll talk about this when we get to the results a little bit more uh, in in a little while they come across as kind of being old fuddy-duddies in certain areas uh, certain areas that I, they don't and we can we can get more into that but uh, I, I think to me those are those are kind of the the major differences uh, so I guess let's let's get started on the ILTA survey and and talk about the the highlights what. To you, were the uh, were the standout highlights of the ILTA survey? Well, I, the standout it was that that nothing really stood out. But but I think the important thing is two hundred twenty three firms basically responded to this, so that gives you I, I think a pretty good coverage of that larger firm market. There's some things that stayed really constant, and I think this becomes useful to people. I, I always think the ILTA 
survey is great for lawyers uh, who are on technology committees of firms who kind of want to get a sense of what's going on out there, what other firms are doing, which is everybody knows is really important to lawyers on technology. They really are concerned about what everybody else is doing rather than perhaps what might work best for, for them. So I think that the big, th- big thing that seems to be consistent over time is, and you see it here, is 48% of the respondents are spending between 2 and 4% of their total firm revenue on technology. And that's, that's really held pretty consistent uh, over the years. So I think that that's starting to give a good framework and a good baseline for what to look for in, a techno- in technology spend. About 25% go over 5% of, of revenue spend on technology. Not surprising, and, and this pattern is, is, seems to, to hold pretty steady, is that most, a lot of the spend is on desktop hardware, laptops, uh, storage, uh, network server upgrades, disaster recovery. Um, and I, I, I've jokingly said that if you want to make lawyers happy, you just buy them a new laptop. Um, but I, you sort of see both that that's where the spending is and sort of to the extent they're assessing happiness level or, you know, a positive response to what's going on. It's clear that lawyers do like uh, to get the, the new computers. And so that may have an impact on firms who are, I think, starting to slide out the upgrade cycle on, on uh, hardware replacement. A little bit of cloud uh, interest. Uh, the new topic this year was, was big data, although not a lot. You don't really see a lot of, uh, of, of, it doesn't really seem like people are thinking a little bit about the notion of big data, but not, not really uh, doing a lot in it. And I, I think that makes sense. I think we're really early on in the whole notion of big data. I know, Tom, you and I have I, I think we don't really have big data on our on as one of our uh, upcoming topics for a while because I I think it's too early and then of course in the Yelta survey seems Tom and then I'll turn this over to you because I I know this uh, this always strikes you but and it strikes me too is that the big topic still seems to be email management. Well, when they ask the question, "What is your biggest challenge?" I I tend to see year over year um, that email management is. Their biggest challenge this year it was again number one with a with twenty percent responding that it was one of their biggest challenges which which is really funny to me because if you look in the other part of the survey where they um they list their their past and past present and future uh, technology purchases what have what did you buy this year and what are you planning to buy next year only about fourteen to fifteen percent of the respondents are investing in email archive software which uh, if, if you implement it properly, if you put that in, in, I would imagine that the number of people frustrated by email management is going to go down. So it doesn't, re- the, it seems to be a disconnect to me that the, that the challenges on email uh, are, not being, are not being responded to by an offsetting res- response of how do we fix this. It doesn't look like it's being a problem that needs to, to really be addressed that much. So I, I tend to view that more humorously, that it's something that really never changes. And I think that's because email is such a difficult beast to get your arms around. And so most people don't want to deal with it and people want to keep all their email forever. And that's why we still have it as a challenge. I, I think that uh, I agree with you in terms of the survey. Uh, we, we find that the, that the this overall firm spending is down. Budgets are not being cut, however, for the most part. Most are staying the same, but uh, kind of reflects that the economy is still down, but that uh, 
also reflects that smaller firms are spending less on technology than big firms, which I guess makes sense. Um, most of the big firms, like you said, are spending time, uh, are spending their money uh, increasing their and improving their infrastructure with desktops, laptops, network supplies, uh, critical mission-critical software. But what's interesting is that the smaller firms are not really spending their money doing that. They're spending it more on task-specific tools, trial presentation software, dictation software, document management systems, imaging scanning software, voice recognition. And I find it very interesting that there's such a, 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 a difference here. And I wonder what makes that difference. Is it, uh, do big firms already have this stuff and, and the small firms are just catching up? Is it because small firms don't focus as much on the infrastructure? I just find that to be a really interesting statistic. Um, like you said, big data, um, it, it makes its first appearance in the, uh, in the survey this year. Uh, I, I think that the reason we're not talking about it on the pod- podcast is reflected in the survey, which is they're not really sure what to make of it right now. Some people say, yep, we think this is going to be an issue in the future. Whether that's a good issue or a bad issue, we're still not sure. We're still working it out. And I think that's, uh, uh, like you said, early days on that. Uh, let's switch over quickly to the, to the LTRC survey. How, what, what, are, what for you were the highlights? What stood out for you in the LTRC survey that uh, either set it apart from the LTA survey or to let it stand on its own? Well, Tom, I, before I f- forget it, I do want to just mention that uh, the, the ILTA survey, uh, people can just go to InsideLegal.com and download a PDF of that for free, and I, which we, we thoroughly recommend. The ABA survey, I, I kind of, uh, Tom and I, are, as, as board members of LTRC, are involved in a project of, of doing a report to kind of highlight and analyze some of some of the key learnings or findings uh, from that survey. So I'm a little more focused, uh, and so my my chapter in that is is on cloud computing. So I I've have more focus on that, and I think I'll, I'll both Tom and I will go into the details of of our specific report. I mean, my my sense was I don't know that there's uh, I, again a, a lot that jumped out at me. I mean, I mean, I sort of feel that. There seems to be more comfort on with cloud computing showing up, uh, and uh, you know the the sort of mobility that that, uh, that we've talked about on the podcast, tablets, smartphones, those sorts of things. But I, if if you look at these surveys and say, I want to see what the next big thing is, I want to see what people really seem to be investing in, where technology is taking it. I, I think you're you're sort of I, I'm left kind of scratching scratching my head. And so in, in, for the LTRC survey or the ABA uh, survey, that uh, I, I'm always surprised that it does seem like given the number of questions they ask that they get a really good response. And so there's useful information in there. Again, self-reporting, of course. But I, I don't know, Tom, that I, there's any big conclusions that, that I draw from it. Do, I mean, do you... I, you you may have a better sense for that, or, or you know, typically, Tom, you're able to pull out three or four main points. Well, uh, so I'm curious what what you what you gathered from the survey. I didn't. I didn't really gather any. I, I think. Th- I think it's the same thing. I, I'm catching that uh, there's nothing in there. Although I, I will say that that you and I both have some statistics that we think are pretty interesting in both of our areas of interest, cloud computing and in mobility, and we're kind of holding those till the end. But 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 the rest of the survey, I would say. Um, didn't really hold a lot of surprises for me. Like I said, uh, the the majority, I, I think it's um, 
56% of the people who responded to this survey have been practicing more than 20 years and 75% have been practicing more than 10 years, which means that uh, that only 25% of the people who responded to this survey are in what I would call that group that really has a good comfort level with technology. Uh, once you're 10 years and out from that, I think that, that you're starting to have less of a comfort level. And I think that's reflected to a certain extent in what we see in the, res- in the, in the survey. The, the survey here, like you said, it's huge. Uh, the, the survey results that we got were 700 pages long when you look at all the data. So it's a lot of information to, to, uh, to, to digest. Uh, it's, it's broken down into six major areas. One is technology basics, which is uh, that, and the second one, law office technology, are very similar to the questions you'll find in the ILTA survey. The next one is litigation and courtroom technology. There's a section on web and communication technology, one on online research, and then one on mobile lawyers. And, and like I said, Dennis and I have spent most of our time looking at the cloud computing and mobility areas. I, the only thing, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk briefly about, uh, about one of the things that I found interesting outside of, of mobility was that, uh, that I, I'm being a records management and e-discovery person, I thought that it was really interesting that um, there's still a, a, not a lot done in these areas. Uh, in the records management area, I noticed that there were questions being asked about email when they asked, where do you store email other than email? And I think to be fair, most people said they store email within their email program, but a lot of people say that they're saving email in their shared drives, on hard drives. A lot of people are printing email to paper, and as a records management practice, that's just horrible not to not to or to be keeping email in multiple locations, multiple places, just not a not a good information governance practice. I thought the other stat that kind of stuck out at me in terms of electronic discovery was the question, how often do you receive electronic discovery requests and how often do you send electronic discovery requests to the other side? And um, the, the numbers were about the same in terms of having never done this. 40%, 41% have never received an e-discovery request. 43% have never sent an e-discovery request. And we're talking seven years after the federal rules were amended to make it easier and more possible to, to deal with electronic discovery and litigation. And it just blows me away that nearly half the folks who answer this have, have had no experience with this. They just aren't involved. And I think that, that talks to a certain extent to the demographics of this survey but that's one of the things that really stood out for me, aside from the areas that we're covering. Um, Dennis, wanted to talk a little bit about the area that you covered, cloud computing, and what uh, stood out for you. Yeah, I, I th- thought that, uh, and to go back to what you said about the demographics of the survey, now it, it skews to uh, you know people, lawyers who've been in the practice a, a longer period of time. I thought the level of comfort and and even usage of of Cloud uh, computing resurface, uh, services, hosted services. I, I thought the comfort level seemed, uh, you know, pretty high. And there's, and, and you also see notable increases uh, from 2012. So, uh, 50% increase uh, in respondents reporting they've used a cloud service. So, 30% as opposed to 20% a year ago. Solos and small firms, you know, have the higher percentage in in there's this survey. I in the report I refer to this as the year of Dropbox because there was a huge growth in popular consumer cloud services by lawyers and, and Dropbox led the way. I mean, four percent uh, people were using Dropbox in 2012 and 58 percent in in 2013. Um, that's a massive increase and in, in shows you know a level of comfort with 
with cloud that's uh, I think surprising based on a lot of this discussion you hear about uh, cloud. Not surprisingly, confidentiality, security, data control and ownership, ethics, uh, those sorts of things weigh heavily on the minds of lawyers. They look to the vendor rep- reputation, how long vendors have been in business. Um, when they think about cloud computing, those, those rate pretty highly in what people say. But when you look to see what people are actually doing, there's a, there's a big cognitive dissonance. I mean, so the employment of actual precautionary measures is quite low among people who are, are using cloud services. And in the, in the stat that's, that, uh, that I was most res- interested in says less than 50% of respondents actually take any one of the standard cautionary measures that were listed as uh, on the survey as things you might do if you're using cloud services in the way of uh, security confidentiality. And and in general, what I saw really raised some concerns about the approaches lawyers are, are taking for their use of, of cloud services. So I think those are some of the things that, that, that jumped out there. I mean, the people who are using the cloud seem to indicate uh, by a pretty significant percentage they'd be willing to use it, use it more. And the ones who are not using it now um, say, yeah, probably they won't use it in the future, but you know, maybe they might. So at least they've moved away from pure no to, to more ambivalence, uh, but at least some, some interest in it. Um, the people were interested in the way that the cloud uh, services would, would save money, uh, make uh, costs more predictable on a, a monthly basis. And of course, they're attracted by the anytime, anywhere access. Uh, of of uh, cloud services, uh, and, and one note, and I think this is I think this is really true. I hear this a lot, and, and that most lawyers indicate there's a lack of ethical guidance on cloud service issues, and I think that makes it a little bit tricky for lawyers uh, moving into this area. I think the the state bars, um, the guidance that you get sometimes isn't really clear. It's hard to understand by lawyers who aren't familiar with the cloud, and uh, Probably most troubling is a lot of times that that guidance from the state bar um, is really confusing to people who are familiar with cloud services because sometimes what they're saying uh, doesn't really line up with what you're what you're actually doing with the cloud service. So that's sort of my overall view on cloud computing uh, in the survey time. You want to hit mobility? Sure. And and one of the commonalities I think one of the things that that I I see similarities in with the mobility section is that. Uh, while lawyers seem to be moving more towards more of a mobile practice to using smartphones and tablets more, um, they're not, there's not a, a similar increase in the technology that they're adopting to protect their mobile technology. And, and I will, I, to be fair, there are many more people responding this past year who, who are securing their mobile devices, but they're using the the, the most basic security possible, just putting a password on it and, and generally that being it. And that may be enough, but um, it, it, they, they tend to not be using the more advanced and, and, and foolproof or at least more secure ways of, uh, of securing your device. There were two things that, that stuck out to me in the survey. The first is what I would call the fall of BlackBerry. Um, and and this, this statistic was completely contradicted by the ILTA survey. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But in the, uh, in the ABA survey uh, last year, or over the past two years, BlackBerry stood at around 45% use. Uh, iPhone and the iOS has, has continually gone up 
and and this year um, it was 62%, Android at 22%, and amazingly, BlackBerry was at 16%, which is you know a 30, 32% drop from from the past two years, huge drop, which I think indicates the uh, the, 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 the growing irrelevance of BlackBerry. But what's interesting to me is, is that you don't see that statistic at all in ILTA. They, they ask the same question, what, what types of platforms are you buying for your firm, I think is what it is, or what are you seeing? I can't remember the exact way that the question was worded. I heard iPhone 72%, BlackBerry 48%, and Android 45%. Uh, I, I'm guessing that, that that means that there are firms with multiple platforms being supported there. So you don't see the same drop-off in the Ulta survey on BlackBerry as you do in, uh, in, in, in the ABA survey. That may be a reflection of the number of solo and small firms who tend to use um, a, a consumer device more than the BlackBerry, which has usually been seen as a business device. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting difference in the two surveys. Uh, the other main standout for the ABA survey, and really ILTA too, was the rise of, of tablet computing. In 2011, uh, only 15% reported using a tablet. That's up to 48% using a tablet now. Uh, the majority of people in the ABA survey report using an iPad. Uh, it still is the market leader. However, over in the ILTA side, uh, you see a lot more uh, inroads being made by Android and Windows tablets. I imagine those are uh, from IT folks who are trying to maybe buy Windows tablets to integrate and work well with Microsoft Office and, and basically have a tablet version of what you would otherwise put on your laptop. I think that, that those are the, the two main things that I saw about mobility, other than it's huge. It's, it's, if you look in the ILTA survey, they did a word cloud of the most important words of the year, and all of the mobility topics pretty much dominated that cloud. And I, I really think that that's... Uh, Something that 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 we're going to continue to see as we go, and it and and the survey really really uh, reflects that. Dennis, as we as we head out of this segment, uh, what what do you think are the takeaways? I'm going to just say my my cynical takeaway is is that these surveys benefit uh, vendors more than they benefit lawyers. Uh, that they're designed for the vendors who are going to market these products to lawyers to figure out where they should best spend their marketing dollars over the coming year. That said, I think that. Um, if you want to see what trends are and what's important and what people are doing to kind of, if you're in a firm and you want to benchmark yourself against what other firms happen to be doing, I think it's very useful. How about you, Dennis? What do you think are the takeaways that, uh, that, that the people listening to this podcast should, uh, should think about when, uh, when thinking about these surveys? Well, I, I agree with you on the benchmarking and some of the, the other aspects of that. I, I really think that, uh, and also the fact that they are vendor-focused, um, but that's good because I think there's, it builds a feedback loop into, in, into the lawyer vendor system. And so uh, you may get better products as a result of, of the feedback loop that is happening there. I really think that um, any lawyer interested in technology needs to look at these surveys on, on a regular basis and then to see what's going on. I think if you're on the technology committee of a firm, these, these are just vital because uh, I, I think you do want to benchmark yourself. You want to understand what's going on out there, what similar firms are doing, uh, maybe get an idea of, like I said, the average spend, uh, you know, where the trends are, those sorts of things, really useful. And I think they'll help you make arguments uh, for the technology uh, that you want to, to bring, bring to your firm, or perhaps the technology you want to keep out of your firm um, because you're either too late in the process or, or possibly too early. The other thing that might be interesting, I think, is 
given that the the big gap between the ethical regulation and what's going on uh, in the use of technology by lawyers, I actually think that it, these results could help inform inform that. And so there's been a lot of discussions on the ethics side about things like Dropbox and encryption and cloud services. And when you see what the level of adoption is, I think that that might also help inform that discussion and the conversation around ethics as well. So I think you're right, Tom. I don't, I don't know there's anything earth-shaking here, but I think it's, it's the, the best data we have. And as you want to look for evidence and facts uh, to kind of help you make technology decisions, this is a great, these, these are good surveys, and this is a great time of year uh, as you focus for what you're going to do next year. Yep, absolutely. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. With all the focus on social media these days, and, and it seems like it's the only focus, are traditional web approaches still even relevant? Well, I'm about to start on a redesign and restructure of my website and, and blog. I was listening to a podcast the other day about personal branding, and uh, one of the people on the podcast started talking about the .me domain and, uh, and how it might be valuable as part of personal branding. You know, establishing your individual identity or maybe in, to become involved with identity in, in the future as an important domain name. I didn't really thought about that um, until I heard that. But after I, after I finished the podcast and was thinking about it, like later the same day, time I, I went on to uh, Hover.com. I actually used the offer code from the podcast and I bought DennisKennedy.me for $13.50 for, for a year. And, um, and, and then I started to think of ways that I might use it to kind of help identify who I am and, and to, to maybe consider whether in the future the, the Google algorithms and other things like that may actually favor that .me do- domain name as for an individual brand. Um, Tom, you and I talked about this, and uh, I got to admit, I sort of felt old school in buying a new domain name, but... Um, I kind of wanted to add it to what I call my web properties. Um, I'm not sure that I've really convinced you that this is a, is a good idea. Maybe I got you convinced it's not a bad idea. But what do you think about sort of this as yet one more approach to that notion of using the web for personal branding in ways other than just, you know, joining uh, the latest social media site? Well, I think it I think it depends on what you plan to do. I think that you have convinced me to the extent that I think that uh 
that that having tommile.me is a good idea to to just have. Um, whether I'm going to ever have the time to go do anything about it, I think is the, the better question for me right now. And with all the stuff that I'm doing right now, being able to refocus on that is going to be a, a tough thing for me to do. But but let's talk about it. When we talk about branding, you and I have discussed in the past Chris Brogan's idea of having the the home base, the place where everything that you have, all of your content pretty much lives, and that you use social media tools as an outpost um, to point people back to your home base. And if if the goal here is to establish the .me uh, site as your home base, then I think that's very intriguing. I think that, 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 that thinking about that as people moving away from .com, which is more commercial, to the .me as the more personal and the more, this is what I'm going to use as my home base, I think that's an intriguing idea. Uh, and, and, and then I come back and say, I have no time to do that. So that I, I think that certainly $15 for a, for a web domain is not too much to spend to have that. Um, but I, I think that having that home base is good, and, and whether or not we're moving away from the .com to the .me, I think is something I'd like to think more about and, and consider as we go along. Now, if branding means uh, making sure that all roads point to your home base, whether that's a .com or a .me or whatever, does that also mean that you need to buy um, tommile.biz and tommile.net and tommile.edu, or I can't buy those, but is, is it possible for, do I need to buy all the domains that I can possibly buy, including tommilesucks and tommileisalawyer.com to, to make sure that anything points back to where I can manage that? And I, I, if, if it's all about brand management, then you have to think about those things as well. If it's really about where am I going to put all my stuff? Where, where am I going to put all everything? And I, 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 that's a better conversation for me to have. And I'm not sure where you're headed with it, Dennis, but those are kind of my thoughts on the, on the area right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I see, it as a, a, I see it as a supplement, basically, where, you know, two, two domain names seems manageable to me. Although I'm not sure when I'm and you know, people can look at the DennisKennedy.me and then there's just a marker site up there, whatever the default was from the from the domain name provider at, at this point. I sort of see it as a supplement. So I think a lot of people are still going to come through my website and, and blog. I just sort of see this as another way for people who are looking for me as the individual rather than perhaps the commercial me to come to a place that points them to all the other things that I'm doing in, in one place. And I may use some things where it's, it's pulling, you know, my latest blog posts, latest tweets, all, all in one place. And I, and I look at it as a, as a real experiment to say, if I just put this out here, what will happen? And I also sort of look at it as, in my case, there's, there's, a, there's a good number of Dennis Kennedys. Uh, some of them are fairly famous. Uh, you know, the Shakespeare scholar, there's a football player. I mean, there's, so there's a number of people out there. And so I say, well, I have the .com, but if I have the .me too, maybe over time that you know, helps me as being the first Dennis Kennedy who gets identified, say, in Google or, or in, in other ways of looking things. But it's sort of that way to say, can I experiment with something that's a little bit more individual that maybe points to other things and to do it in a way using this, this interesting domain name that I hadn't thought about before? Well, then all I'll say for that is, is good on you if you have enough time to do it, because, because I, I, I have two blogs right now, and as you can, visitors to my blogs will notice, I haven't been able to post in months just because work's been too busy. So uh, I think that the, 
I, I think that the benefit of having those domains is proportional or inversely proportional, one of those two, to uh, to the amount of work you're able to put into it ultimately. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm feeling this, the same uh, constraints <laughs> and, and the idea of adding one more thing. I, that's why I'm looking at how, how much can I automate of it to make it appear automatically and update automatically. All right. But now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have never been a very good manager of the photos that I have. I've never used things like Flickr or Picasa or any of the online tools. But I'm trying to get get uh, organized. I, I was looking at a tool called Everpix, E-V-E-R-P-I-X, which is kind of an intriguing tool, but it, it didn't make the pictures available, at least not yet anyway, on my Android phone. I want to be able to show pictures on my iPad, on my Android phone. I want to be able to show those to people when I happen to be on the road, um, have them available to me everywhere. And I read a Lifehacker post on um, uh, why I ditched photo management apps and used Dropbox instead. And uh, Dropbox now has a photo album tool where you can uh, create your own albums. With one click, you can share an album to Facebook or Twitter. You can then just share the link to the album to anybody that you want to. Um, and you're not doing much more than just organizing photos into normal folders in Dropbox like you normally would. And so I'm now starting to work with my photos in Dropbox, and I think it's very interesting, uh, interesting concept. And, and because Dropbox has apps for both Android and iPhone and iPad, I'm able to access all my photos anywhere that I want to. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to finally having them organized uh, and accessible from one location. Dennis? Well, a word we like to throw around a lot is curation. And it's, uh, it's a great word and a word that not many people seem to understand. I have a great example of it and something I found really useful. So our, our friend Eric Mazzoni um, writes a blog called Law Practice Matters at lawpracticematters.com. And on a, it seems he started doing this thing. I think it's sort of on a weekly basis. I'm not sure. Let's just say it's on a regular basis that he started doing it. I don't know uh, whether it's weekly or how he's going to do it. But it's just a roundup of the best legal tech and law practice management uh, blog posts, articles, things he's found. Um, and then he turns it into one post. And so you, in one handy place, you have this useful collection of, of links that you can go read on, on your own. You, know, find, and you can always find one or two or three, maybe even more that are really helpful to you. And that's the notion of curation. Somebody going out there and identifying the good stuff and presenting it to people in a way that's really useful. So uh, hat, big hat tip to Eric and um, definitely something I, I, I recommend. Yep, definitely love those, uh, those roundups that he does. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, will be available in our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tcamreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating or reviewing the podcast on iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.